0: Pete, but I'm joined by a pair of other guys today, and I'm with Johnny P and JB. JB, man, how you doing?
1: What's going on, Pete?
0: Life's oh, good. Much, Life's
1: man. good. Life's good.
0: Good to hear. It. Good to hear it. Johnny P, man, what's going on?
2: Dude, I love that your open was kind of like a kid's show that's like really up. You're like, I'm Pete. Like, I'm going to be your friend today. Like, I would let my nephews listen to this show thanks to that.
0: Well, man, that made my day. That made my day. <laughs> Champ is today. is
2: right here, by the way. He's listening.
0: Cool. Well, I'm with you guys today, uh, because we're gonna be talking about some Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh the show that happened the week after, I guess, the last Battle of Atlanta. They gave the date uh November 6, eighty three on the WWE network. And I'm a big fan of of these things. I love uh the old school the hidden gem section is my favorite thing on the network. I always geek out when they put an old, uh, an Omni or something from Crockett, a Crockett show on there. Uh, I mean, I even get happy. I mean, we, if they drop a Mid-South House show, I'm happy. Hell, I'm even happy on some of these bad AWA shows they've dropped. Um, JB, what's your favorite part of the network?
1: Uh by far the archives and jumping back into the uh the old stuff, that's uh a no brainer. These hidden gems have really been something. It's almost as if they're listening to my thoughts sometimes and picking up things I like. And even the even the trashy side of the debacle that was the AWA as it was falling down, Pete, I, I I'm 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 totally enamored with watching the fall apart.
0: Right. It's like you it's like it's like that train yeah. wreck you can't keep an, your eyes away from or right. a car Absolutely. crash on the road. Everyone slows down, even though it's, it's, it's horrific. People still slow down and they peek at it. Johnny P., what's your favorite part of the network?
2: I mean, I guess the hidden gems. I don't really use the network very much. Um, the only other thing, other than random pay-per-views that I really look at, now that NXT is on regular TV, is they the, the, the different kind of sort of pseudo-documentary stuff they have, which the production is amazing. And sometimes I really like it, and sometimes I'm like, why are these people in character within a documentary setting? Mm-hmm. So so I'd say Hidden Gems by default.
0: Cool, cool. Before we get into the show, the whole show, I thought we'd talk about the booking of this show. It's very 80s-esque in a lot of the finishes. I mean, the last three matches are all like, disqualifications, I believe. And then in, on one of these matches, we even had uh, uh, Jimmy Valiant pins uh, uh, Gary Hart, the manager, which is like totally 80s finish. If that happened today, uh, the internet would riot on uh, on Twitter. Uh, Jimmy, do you think they uh, could have been a little bit more creative in some of the finishes or uh, come over to some, maybe done a double countout or... I mean, I know you got to, sometimes you got to protect these people, and there's certain things you got to protect, and or you don't want to do business or or what have you. But having the last three matches all end in DQ, and then having a, a pinning of a manager—that's a pretty, uh, pretty uh, a fuck job show you got right there.
1: It, it is, Pete. But we also got to remember that we're looking at it with uh, you know 2019 eyes compared right. to compared to the audience that was there. You know, the old adage is that hindsight's twenty twenty. We can always go back and look and see how we could change things. But looking at the show as a whole and seeing that audience and seeing what they were up for, I, I really don't think that uh, it was that atrocious. It was just something that we look at a little differently today in 2019.
0: Yeah, it clearly didn't bother this audience there at all, uh, where they would be going out and bad-mouthing the show. It, it didn't even bother me Uh Per se, because uh, even when when the, we got the network, I was telling people you're gonna start seeing some more screw jobs in the main events in on WWF tell, on WWF pay per views because they're gonna go back to more of the old Madison Square Garden uh, uh, ways of getting to getting two or three matches out of a challenger instead of like how we had before the network where it was like you you had like pretty much a one and done off a challenger. Uh, and you usually have a clean finish uh, going forward, or, or or a finish where you know it wasn't a, was didn't end in a DQ or a, or or a countout or what have you. Uh, John, what do you think about the uh, the booking generally up and down on the finishes?
2: Well, this is this is the eighties, and it's actually the early eighties. It's it's still like when territories were were viable. I don't think this was November of eighty three, right? So yes. Mac- McMahon hasn't even made his move yet. And yeah, even please. the TV tapings in St. Louis aren't until, what, sometime in December. Yes. Um, and not only, not only that, like, people in, in our bracket of fans, our, our, our generation of fans are starting to forget that, like, uh, New Japan and all Japan didn't have clean finishes during this era either. But more, more importantly, that we, now, here's the question for you guys, because this is how I took this in. I obviously noticed it because you can't not notice it watching an entire card. Um, And obviously we all, all three of us talk to promoters who do think in terms of building a card still and not like every match is just this isolated siloed thing that steals a show kind of a thing. Um, Was the the last battle of Atlanta a fan? um, The fact that we didn't see the, the, Footage of it. Was it an actual big show, as a as a blow off of just that match? Was it a big show overall, or was it a total fan creation thing well after the fact by people like us who were tape traders looking for the footage?
1: I think Pete, if I'm not if I'm not speaking out of turn here, uh, I really believe that it was more of a, a fan created uh, notion than anything. Oh. You know, See, in yeah, I think I think so. Just just the sure fact that if you think about some of the bigger things that were that important to the fans of the day, uh, if last of the battle of Atlanta was built up to be something great, then you would have saw some of the early days, of the WFIA and things like that being involved with it. And it right. wasn't that it wasn't at the, it wasn't at that level yet.
2: Cool. Uh, OK, well, that kind of shoots in the foot the, the goodwill I was going to send it in the sense that, like, this is kind of this would be tantamount to your like your. Late April, second week of May, WWE pay per view in modern day. You know, like
1: like it's right, right after like right, a big right. show.
2: And I, I I know it wasn't Mania, regardless, even if it was a big show. Which,
1: but we're, how, we're, uh, we're, Pete, how often how, how often were they running the Omni at this point, Pete? I
2: thought it was monthly. Yeah,
1: okay.
2: I got that yeah. same from reading results too.
1: Right, right. So I mean, even if they were running it monthly, uh, they're just building for the local the locals. You know, in a lot of ways. Um, And and we got to remember too that Georgia is splintered up here quite a bit still too, because there's still towns in Georgia that are being ran separately, like Macon's its own town. You know, there's different places that are their own their own entity even with inside the greater Georgia wrestling scene. Now, like a town like Macon, which was ran by Fred Ward, was a whole different type of place. You know, it was a whole different promotion, even though they were using the same talents or a lot of the same talents from Georgia Championship Wrestling. So you had a and, and you had a TV was actually crossing in certain points there too, where you had two different organizations, kind of using the same talent but using it different ways too. So there's a lot of people that were serving here, not just you know the people of Greater Atlanta.
2: Well, JB, are they running? But are they running? They're not running like a Marietta uh, on oh, the oh, off weeks, right? They're still running oh, with the auditorium.
1: Oh well, they run the auditorium, but they're also—I mean, the, see—Georgia Championship Wrestling is a weird entity because it's it's almost like two separate companies ran in two different spots within the state of Georgia. Uh, so there's
2: like a city version, and a, I know I'm yes. oversimplifying right a city right, version right. and the suburbs version
1: As, essentially essentially and and sometimes you know when they start venturing out you got to also remember at this point this is the movement of Georgia Championship wrestling where they're starting to move further north right and, right and they're going into Ohio, in Ohio and Michigan and Michigan right. at this point right right, right. So, so it's a whole different scene it really is well they're definitely like this
2: is you know to put it in modern terms this is definitely a pay-per-view where they're using it as, like, a super raw to, mo- to give you big matches all on one card but pretty much move forward a lot of pieces. Right. Which we're definitely going to get to. Like, the I'll just give taste before we get into it. So, like, the, the Buzz Sawyer thing is moving something forward in not one but two matches, basically. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're using that semi-main as, as, as almost a thing to get over the guy who's not in the match itself. Um, they're using the, the main to move something forward with the participants. Uh, and there were a few other ex- examples that we'll get into within the body of the show.
0: See, well, I, I, I kind of I, thought I, the last I, Battle of Atlanta was... I thought it was a little bit of both, where it became a lot of hype because of it being the last Battle of Atlanta. It had been lost like forever. People never thought it was going to pop up. So it became kind of like a myth in a way. And... But it was also the blow off of their biggest their biggest heel Sawyer, and then they also had their biggest baby face rich inside the, the cage um,
2: the thunder cage, which uh,
0: so what, is, was, is,
2: was it like a dr- like the impression I get because uh, I'm one of those people who like in between matches'm or during matches I'm stopping and I'm reading up on history to try to get a better perspective on it. Uh, And I read somewhere that this this was essentially the closure of kind of a two year feud between Rich and and Sawyer that seemed to be it seemed like their version of like a a Tommy Dreamer Raven thing where they would feud for two or three months and then there'd be side things and then they'd come back a little bit. But there would be proxies. Would that be correct? Like, I, I have not watched the entire Georgia Georgia catalog, and obviously some of that is on YouTube highlights thanks to you know at least one of our friends helps out with that um do you think that that would be true either of you do you know for sure or do you have that impression
1: i'm not sure i'm not sure john george is not
0: my strong suit i'll honestly be honest about that uh but i do feel that i feel that analogy does fit because that's how
2: i kind of viewed it yeah um I it, it, transferred it, it, a ton of Georgia about, you know, like July and early August. And the impression I got, Buzz is all over it. He's on it a lot. And we know Rich is on it a lot because he was, I mean, Rich won the world title in 80. He, right. In Georgia, like he was thought to be a star coming, he was a local boy coming out of that as a star. And he was still obvious where in late 83, he's still a main eventer at their big venue. So, it seems like something where they would b- bounce into each other here and there, and they were like these established things who would periodically go, "Oh yeah, we're not done here," kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, I mean at this at this point, and, and I mentioned um, the, the splintering of Georgia earlier, and I meant to say I think I said Fred was Fred Ward was running a different promotion. He's actually running in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, I had to double check myself on that, but um, yeah, with with Tommy Rich obviously coming off, you know that that quick little short run as nwa world champion and it was pretty much done with inside georgia alone um you know but he's still a huge huge star and a huge i mean really he's the one of the early cable tv wrestling stars if we think about it Mm -hmm. you know he's one of those guys that thanks to tbs was being seen everywhere and people always ask you know why didn't he make a trip to new york why didn't events try to get him actually he did uh tommy was actually booked on some cards uh in uh baltimore that were wwf shows as well as some northern virginia shows but uh he flaked out and uh you know <laughs> he and, buddied and, and and it. yeah he pretty much buddied himself out you know <laughs> so he, he he did have a shot so you know there's there's a lot to be said when it comes to you know to tommy rich you know Quickly looking at his accolades or allocades as Lex would say. Um NWA Georgia Heavyweight Champion three times. NWA Georgia tag team champion seven times. TV champion once. And here's the here's the kicker. Uh, the little ones I like. Look, we're talking about the splintering of, of the NWA and Georgia, the Macon heavyweight champion. <laughs> As well as the national heavyweight champion three times, and of course the NWA world heavyweight champion once. So, you know, Tommy is is you know not homegrown since he's from Tennessee, but as as much homegrown as you want to really say about you know Georgia wrestling. Tommy Rich was a superstar in in all levels of the word,
2: and they presented him as, as such. Absolutely, like, that's Absolutely. the resume of a guy that that they, they are obviously keeping in the mix in relevant feuds, programs, spots on television constantly. He was an adopted Georgia's son.
0: And it's it? interesting because they're still protecting him here on this card and going forward, but they're also positioning Buzz uh, who and these guys are just off a of feud and he's going to become the, his rival, number one babyface, and they're building to them tagging up in the big tag tournament.
2: Yeah. Yeah, which which is smart booking, which is it's cool. Because they they had their blow off. They probably still have a little bit of an issue or can present it like it. Because old wrestling and I this will come off condescending. I don't mean it to be, but at this point we have to remember how far away we are from this kind of stuff as far as storytelling. There was a time where you would tell stories and they would be more like layered dramas. Yes. Where they still have they're not just friends because they're both baby faces. <laughs> There has to be this awkward like meeting, and it, the best thing I could say is that weird to me it was weird and manufactured. But a lot of people love the Cody Dustin thing, and my biggest thing was it was a beautiful match and it was a great idea for a fight. But because they didn't have television and there was just one video, I felt like everybody was pretending there was this brother betrayal and then this big build up to this match over weeks of television or something, and then and 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 at the end of it. There's this cool moment where he's, you know, Cody has beaten his brother, and he's like, you know, there's this match coming up with these guys, and and you know they're a big deal, and I could have any opponent, but like I need my brother. That was like this synthetic version to me of what they would do at a time like this, and in a, in in the context of like a Buzz Sawyer and uh, and a Tommy Rich.
0: Yeah, you know, I- he kind of did it ass backwards. I even said this with Tim. It felt like they rushed through six months of television or a year's worth of television because they didn't have TV, yeah. They didn't have the TV, and they did it backwards, where they were uh, feuded before they were back to being brothers, where they didn't build to the
2: the breakup at all. Yeah, it was totally. Uh, it was totally bizarre, boring. and and I was blown away by the reaction of people that that are you know older than us that I very much respect. Not that I think that we should all crap on it. That's just that's, – that's worthless. And, you know, we've, all, we've all done an emotional reaction thing, but I was very surprised that they weren't kind of saying, there's an asterisk here, but this is great, and I wish that if they would have had the TV to do this, or I wish they would have held off on it until they could do it with the TV. But anyway, yes, that's just an example, and we're, we're far from home now. So we've got kind of the, the layers and the background of where we're at in the history of Georgia Championship Wrestling
0: yeah and when you look at and you look at some of the finishes also guys i mean you have valiant and kabuki that's kind of like a touring match it's not even just a georgia match i mean they did that feud in in the carolinas but you have buzz versus abby you kind of you can't beat buzz cuz he's a freshly turned babyface here and he's also integral in the next angle to get himself over even more and it's abby so you know abby isn't going to be laying down uh And then, you know, you can't beat the Road Warriors because you're building to the the Road warriors Sawyer feud. You're not going to be Dusty. And so you kind of do the injury angle with Brett. And then, again, Tommy Rich versus DiBiase. DiBiase was supposedly a sub, I heard, for Harley Race. Yeah, he was. And, um, and again, this is another first match. And you kind of – I would have gone, like, the double count-out route maybe here. Uh, which I, I don't get instead of everything we got, but they did enough uh, bells and whistles on that finish with all the people coming in that you kind of forget what the hell the finish was when you know it was a DQ. So there was a lot of protecting here, and you kind of understand why they did what they did. Am I correct, JB?
1: Yeah, I think so, Pete. I think the biggest thing we got to remember here too is that there's so many different personalities here, so many different people who are being groomed for different spots, and there's lots yeah. of spots to be had. So they are trying to protect multiple people on different layers. Uh, and we also got to remember it kind of goes back to that that just, you know the discussion point I brought up a few minutes ago is that Georgia Championship Wrestling is moving. It is moving. It's spreading out. So they're going to have to have different entities, different stars, different people in different places. So the idea of what Georgia Championship Wrestling was going to be was much bigger than just that program going on in Atlanta. Well,
2: and the other thing is that you know I said this online. I think you guys interacted with this tweet like it's probably a month or two ago. That you know, in in transferring Georgia stuff, I said, God, they're the original PWG. And I didn't mean wrestling style. What I meant was you're basically building like an all-star team. Now, PWG, unfortunately, should be, should have been um, an all-star team for, for a streaming world. You know, the move from DVD and television to streaming, they couldn't do that for contractual reasons. But Georgia was an all-star team built for national exposure via this new thing that people were starting to get called cable television. So you're not just serving a lot of masters as far as <clears throat> as far as you know the workers and what you're doing in expanding. Uh, you got a lot of guys coming in that you're doing a, a favor for another promoter to get this guy exposure or to the NWA as a whole because they're like, we're looking at this guy maybe two years down the road being a champ. Um, we need him to get TV exposure, but we also want to see if he sinks or swims on national TV and major feuds in big arenas and, and some of that being on TV and some of that being like across the country after he has the exposure. So there's a, there's a lot of moving parts to this period of uh, Georgia championship wrestling.
0: Yeah. I like your PWG talk here because I think it pretty much essentially PWG kind of splintered off into NXT and AEW essentially. Along with some of the bigger stars now on the main
2: roster. Well, at the, at the time, it was all the the talked about or buzzed about or about to break. Yeah, indie stars, but the difference being, it wasn't. It was a different uh, aim. Whereas Georgia was for the NWA promoters to get exposure through national television for their stars, and Georgia was trying to balance that with their own. You know, Oli was like well, this is my territory and what I'm trying to do, the way I want to mix people in here. You did still have an all-star team, whereas PWG was like, this is the only place you're going to see a guy from Dragon Gate, a guy from ROH, you know, a guy from another competitor. This guy is signed to Impact, you know, all the way down the line. And instead of an Oli who is running everything, it's a group of ex-wrestlers who didn't quite make it, who are basically, I would, I would always say to you guys privately, it's a skate demo. This is not like Tony Hawk going to a competition, which would be like WWE. This is him and his friends going, let's show our craziest skate moves that you don't want to do in a competition or the, or the X Games or the World Championships of Skateboarding or whatever. It had a slightly different name, but it was the same kind of all-star team thing.
0: Now, do either you guys know if Oli sells the book here or is it Jake as a transition into the booker?
1: Oh, gosh. Good, that's, that's, good, good, question. Good, good, good question. Good question. Good um, I, I question. I would think that it was still only at this point, but I'm yeah. I'm not sure.
2: I mean, we're, yeah, only, we're I, only about a half a I, year I, from I Black Friday. it's close
0: where Jake's about to get the book, or he might have he just started the book after the last battle. I'm not sure.
2: Patron Chris know. Zellner.
0: Yeah, Zellner would know. Uh, but I know he's he's about to be transitioned into it cuz I remember him doing the TV with like the Road Warriors and himself and the Legion of Doom and and all that stuff uh, so but yeah so yeah I mean, it might be 6 months when they down the road where Jake starts again the book but hey do you guys want to get into
2: the show proper no nah, let's just stop there
1: no no we will we'll, just, we'll just talk about Georgia Championship wrestling history from three guys who didn't live in Georgia
2: <laughs> right <laughs> exactly and who deeply want the knowledge, but are, like, iffy about certain factual events.
1: Yes. <laughs> let's just <laughs> say that we,
2: let's say we,
1: we appreciate it, all right? We appreciate it. That's yeah. why, why we're here.
2: And then, let's start the uh, wouldn't-it-be-cool section about now, you know, 20 minutes in. Wouldn't it be cool if Hulk Hogan came there? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> all right, all right. In all seriousness, yeah, let's get into the show. All
0: right. Well, this is pretty much the whole show, except the, the opener was not on there, which was um, – uh, what's his name? The uh, British guy. Uh,
2: Not Thatch. Um, Les Thornton? That,
0: yeah, yeah, Thornton. Yeah, Thornton yeah. versus uh, Pat Rose. And I'm essentially guessing they probably would have given the match about 10 minutes. Uh, they probably had uh, Thornton probably take about 70% of it, I'm guessing, controlling it on the mat, giving Rose some hope spots. Uh, but, I, I mean, of course, this is just what I'm picturing in my mind. One of them, hey, this is uh, – this is wrestling type of matches where we're showing you how credible you are. Everything stays in the ring, uh, but we don't have it. So, uh, we go to the second match and I'll start with you, Johnny. Uh, we have, uh, Brad Armstrong versus Joe Lightfoot. what do you think about this one?
2: Okay. So spoiler, I just, because I'm afraid of sounding like negative about the show. Uh, I wasn't negative on the whole show, uh, but this this is probably my favorite match. So this is the first thing we see, and I'm just like, this is awesome. And then I have no idea what the booking is going to be for the rest of it or how they're interweaving a bunch of other stuff. So I don't know the moving parts. I'm just hopefully smart enough to understand that there are reasons for why they're doing things. Um, so I loved it. Uh, do you want me to go into, like, my thoughts on the whole match? Or... Yeah, go for it, man. All right. So it's just some background. Lightfoot is Joe Ventura. And he's a Canadian. He's actually a a French-Canadian from Montreal. He did a bunch of work for Stuhart Stampede and Al Tomko's All-Star Wrestling out in Vancouver. Um, He wrestled for over a decade. He's kind of in the middle of his career right here. Uh, He finishes up in the spring of 88 in Kansas City. So kind of a sad ending for Joe Ventura, uh, a.k.a. Chief Joe Lightfoot, doing the like sub-sub Native American gimmick. And you guys know because we talked recently about this. I love Brad Armstrong, so I, I love this match. Uh, just some some hits, some highlights, some thoughts. Uh, I adored the simplicity of the first few minutes, not only for the match itself, but for the it's spot on the card. I thought it was a smart match. For it didn't try to like do anything that would have ruined anything coming after it, kind of a thing. Um, it was a perfect tit for tat, one ups been shit. You had you had your uh, your headlocks, your body blocks, yeah, you know, your takedowns, your body slams, your roll-ups, and your dash of you know a dash of rope running. You get, I love the idea of bringing it up and bringing it down. So I like rope running as the finisher to a sequence where somebody gains control. And I like, um, oh God, what do you call that when you do one thing and then the other guy does it? Um, uh, parallel construction. It's called in in, uh, in writing. Uh, so, what I mean by that is Armstrong basically has headlock control, and it's Lightfoot trying to continually not only break out of that, but stay out of that. And then when Lightfoot gets control, it's the head scissors control, and it's Armstrong eventually conquering that. I love that the first real strike of this match doesn't happen until seven minutes in, and it's the best, thick, meaty strike by Lightfeld. Into uh, Lightfoot, sorry, into Armstrong, and Armstrong does this cool sell where he kind of he hits it and feels it and he's staggered, and then he's trying to steady himself, but he falls back into the corner and just kind of slumps down after a second. Um, the whole match went about 12:40. Uh, there's a cradle; it's a cradle win, cradle pin win by Armstrong. Uh, I before that I had popped huge for the moment where Armstrong he finally does a headstand. A, a escape of the head scissors and he dives for the headlock control to get back to that thing that we know he's been using and Lightfoot does this deft little like duck of it and then goes right into a hammerlock on Armstrong from behind this was smooth, this was quick this was fast work for the time mostly clean while maintaining a good amount of rough and tumble stuff and they didn't try to reinvent the wheel but but what for what it was this match was tr- it tr- truly shined I love this match on this
1: card.
0: Nice. What about you, JB? Where do you fall on this one?
1: I, I love it too. I, I mean, Brad's a, always been a favorite of mine and, and someone who I got to appreciate a lot watching as a kid, but uh, a couple of points I want to make here on this match. Uh, number one, Uh, One of the things that stood out to me really quick was Scrappy McGowan is the referee in this match. Uh, Scrappy is a guy that I, when I was a kid, for some reason was drawn to him uh, refereeing matches. I always thought he was like uh, the skinny, skinny, skinny version of Tommy Rich in there refereeing with that haircut. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, it it was always something that drew my attention as a kid. Um, Also, um, Brad looks so much like Bob here. It's ridiculous. Oh, Oh I thought it might be at first. You know, he looks looks so much like the bullet here. It's ridiculous. You know, it's – Brad is only 21 years old uh, when this match is taking place, and he's been a pro for about three years. He turned pro at 18. Uh, so, you know, this is a early, early, you know, Brad match as far as, you know, seeing his progress and getting a chance to, uh, be on a big card. Uh, I thought the whole work for, uh, the headlock, I called this the side headlock special, this whole match. It was really built around lots of headlocks, lots of work. Um, Lightfoot, uh, who I've never remember seeing before. And you, and John, you said he was a Canadian wrestler for the most part. Is that correct? Yeah. He's, yeah, not he worked a lot on seen, the west coast. The
0: most coast. footage I've seen him on was Portland, and, and, and by oh, yeah, that's not much.
2: see yeah, you know, well, yeah the because guy he was a North uh, or, or or Pacific Northwest kind of guy. He's a French Canadian, so right. he's a Montreal guy. But yeah, it's like Al Tomko in Vancouver. It's Stu out in Calgary, and now it sounds like Don Owen in uh in Portland. I was in love with him. Go go on, JB.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was an interesting guy. I mean, like, you know, you know Brad's the baby here for sure. And and but generally speaking, you know, Lightfoot doesn't come across as a true heels heel. Uh he just seems like a I I really didn't realize good.
2: until about seven minutes in.
1: Yeah. He's he's just kind of, and it really doesn't really start healing it up until he's kind of, you know, talking and, you know, and, and jabbering a little bit with the referee. Uh, you know, not a whole lot of like true heel work here. So it's almost like is this going to be like a, a technical baby-baby matchup? And,
2: I and, thought it was. I you thought know, that they were starting baby-baby because baby it right. was like the second match on the card. Right. I thought it was baby-baby until the big strikes, where
0: then Lightfoot yep. felt to yep. me, felt he was getting uh, – he needed to go a little – get a little heavy-handed because he's losing the battle right now.
1: Right, right, right.
2: smart in, in-match storytelling. Yes,
1: yeah, so at th- at this point, how long has Lightfoot been in the business, John? Do you, do you...
2: Uh, he started around seventy four, seventy five.
1: Okay, so you know, so he's definitely been around the block, so he knows exactly what he's doing. But his
2: first like three years, he's barely. And now, for for all of you, I am not some you know scholar of this. I, I looked him up online and did my research. You can do the exact same thing I did if you just Google him and you look at the places like Cage Match and and, and and other places. So the first couple of years, JB, from like 74 to 77, he's only doing like 12 to 24 matches a year. Okay. And, and then at some point, I think he realizes if I'm going to do this, I got to move. Or he gets a break. Maybe that's what it is.
1: Yeah, but, and, and 12 to 24 matches back then is definitely working on a light schedule. In today's world, that's like a guy who thinks he's a five-year vet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, you know, 12 to 24 matches is not a heck of a lot. That's for sure.
2: And as a caveat, it's also po- it's also possible because I don't hear enough people say this and I get I'm, you know, a very meticulous, nerdy detail guy. It's very possible that there aren't all the sources out there. So they are only writing down like the the more known cards that maybe have newspaper uh, results Right. And he was working more, but they were just kind of like the Canadian equivalent of much like it's, it's odd to me that there's not a lot of results for him in the Montreal area. Yeah, right, right. So like he's from he there. Yeah. Death tours or whatever, oh, yeah. oh, oh, right. and that's, that's even above that. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that, of that.
1: Yeah, those you know, all those uh, indigenous people, North, you know, Native American death tours. They would go out there on the ice, you know, and yeah. you know those things. Yeah, those that's things.
2: Maritimes, and he's yeah. in Montreal, so he oh, done
1: those, both. Yeah, so if he's in, yeah, if he was doing the Maritimes and those. Oh gosh, there's who knows how many matches the guy had.
2: And the only records we correct me if I'm wrong. The only real records we have of the Maritimes tours are. From the boys who did it and talked about it on shoots and then and then and or wrote books. Right. Right.
1: And later on and later on the Maritimes did have some television too. Oh,
2: uh, that's right. Know. They did, yes.
1: So so we do have some of that, but not a hell heck of a lot. <laughs> But uh, overall, you know, I thought the match was uh, was a fun starter. You know, even though it's the second match, but it's the first one we get on this on our on our footage. Um, I thought that you know Lightfoot was was tremendous. Brad showed a lot of poise, able to work in and out of headlocks. The um you know the the head says you know the uh, the headstand over into the side into the side headlock. I thought was a great point. John already mentioned that. Uh, the missed cross body spot was great. And the uh, Armstrong for the inside cradle for the finish was, you know, was a uh, a quick way to uh, end a, a solid first bout. Yeah. And it leaves it open is... for more. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: Uh, this is, I thought, was a perfect first or second match card uh, positioning. I mean, he had some really fun counter wrestling. And, and Brad controlling with the headlock. You could almost hear... Uh, if we got an announcer, you can say, if you control the head, the body must follow type thing on the commentary. Uh, uh, Lightfoot counters the arm drag into the head scissors. And all that work has just been super crisp and believable, holding water. And it's a babyface match that seems to get a bit aggressive. And that's what I liked about it, was they weren't just giving us the babyface match. They put a little twist on it by putting Lightfoot... Cause I'm guessing the pecking order, especially one with Armstrong going over uh, Armstrong is a, probably a little higher on the baby face totem pole here in the promotion. And so Lightfoot. He, uh, I don't even want to say heals it up, but just is just tad bit more aggressive when he's on offense. Hey, Pete. Uh, and that's because he's pissed. Cause has been out wrestled earlier in the, in the match. Uh, he, he,
2: I think he actually was a heel and it was just building to that. Cause uh, like, it's not really a spoiler. This happened what, how long ago. Lightfoot is out at the at, at the end of the main event. He's one of the heels that's out there uh, holding Rich, which leads me to believe that he was working 50-50 with him until, like, it's the whole, I mean, Bruce, I'll give Bruce Mitchell credit since we crapped on him so much <laughs> for the Greensboro show. Um, Bruce would always say, you know, a good heel is somebody who's really talented but you know he works fifty fifty with the guy, and if the guy, the baby face is a little bit better, he starts cheating, and I think that's what they were trying to depict with Lightfoot here, is yeah, that, that he that's, that's, is well, that's a girl. kind
0: of what the story I think we all picked up on here too. Yeah. Except um, so I thought he was a baby because I, I for some reason I we all did. He was. Yeah,
2: we all did until until yeah. the, the strikes, you know. But I think he genu- They were genuinely positioning him as that. I mean, it's possible we're both right in that, um, because none of us really know. But maybe they brought him in like just the week before and and you know you thought he might be a baby face but he had something a little off with him and then that was the definitive oh he is a heel and then they they made it concrete during the main event where he helped the the heels or he was one of the heels who came out in the group
1: right and I, and I was thrown off just for the sheer fact that you know how many heel native american gimmicks have there been so that's right. Or yeah, are so needed? Are needed? Right, right, right. Because for the most part, Native American you know, gimmicks and professional wrestling have been baby faces.
0: Yeah. You know, and like even when we talk about that. Matt D and I were talking about this offline. We we thought it'd be a Life would have been a fun underneath tag partner of Wahoo instead of like Oh yeah, Mark Youngblood. Oh yeah. Uh, who I thought I thought Life would look better than Mark Youngblood. Not not Jay. Jay was better, no but, uh, no.
2: Jay was very good. Yes.
0: Yeah. But I would love to see uh life would get a little cup of coffee in the Carolinas. I think he would have done. Oh great, God. Yeah. Like he looked and, and,
2: and carried himself like a, like a main, like a, not a main eventer, but like a main roster, uh legit territory wrestler. You looked at him and he, you weren't like, Oh, this kid's going to shrink in the moment. This is his first time in in, in a big arena kind of a thing.
1: Oh, he, he would have been a, pre- he'd have been perfect for middle of the card and Crockett. That's for sure. That's yeah. yeah I'm thinking Crockett a lot,
2: you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's where that—that's the Indian gimmick. Yeah, like live and die there because of Wahoo, how popular he was, and then you could build people around Wahoo and the young buds and stuff. Yeah, I give it like two and a half stars. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, JB, man, the next match was Jake Roberts versus Ron Garvin for the TV title. What, what, what? Do you, what's your takeaway on this match?
1: First of all, the the whole entrance with Roberts with Precious Paul, great. Ron Garvin comes across as a huge, huge star because he was at this time. Uh, Garvin, uh, the moniker at this point is the one man gang for Ronnie. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Ronnie is a star in Georgia and especially in East Tennessee uh, and into the Carolinas and even down into Florida. So, Ron Garvin is a huge, huge, huge star for Georgia Championship Wrestling. Um, You know, if you want to know how big a star he was, uh, Andre allowed. Ron Garvin to body slamming long before Hogan, long before anybody else. So, you know, that's the kind of this kind of magnitude and kind of uh, clout that uh, Ronnie Garvin had. Um, Roberts is very interesting here. Uh, the snake like persona is really starting to take place. He's the you know the kind of slithering in and out of the ring and the movement. The uh, you know, he's really taking advantage of that moniker. Um He's he's not he's wearing the the uh, karate pants the kind of loose karate pants which uh, we would see Jake wear all the way up until the WWF. Um, I believe the story is that Jake said that he went up to uh, New York, met with Vince, and Vince said, uh, "You're going to wear spandex with snakes on the side." And he said, "No, I'm not." He said, uh, "You're going to carry a snake?" No, I'm not. And then he said, "I'm going to pay you this." And he said, "Okay, okay, boss, I'm doing that." So you know that was pretty much the end of that. Uh, Even though Jake said. he always liked wearing the, you know, the karate pants. He felt a little more freedom, a little more loose in those than as opposed to be wearing the, uh, the uh, spandex long boys as he was wearing in in WWF.
0: Plus, he could probably go on a
2: binge and just sleep in those days. <laughs> exactly. For, for exactly. those of you who don't know what we're talking about, they're just the red pants that he wears in yeah. Mid South as well. Yeah. Exactly. And they are definitely like his version of CM Punk's basketball shorts. Before yes. he comes to WWE. Yeah, it's exactly. the same kind of a comfort,
1: thing. comfort factor. It's
2: right. Sure. Like you, he's totally identifiable in the, you know, I, I reverse engineered this cause I grew up with Jake and, you know, living in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania uh, and being like, you know, being born in 80 in 1981. I, I, I watched this in reverse. I saw Jake on WWF and then later came back and watched all this stuff, but it's, If you were married to the idea of Jake Roberts' red pants guy and then Jake the Snake, it's definitely uh, comparable to CM Punk basketball shorts guy, like custom-made basketball shorts.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nevertheless, oh, cool. nevertheless, it's 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 it is a different. It's a it's kind of a shock if you're used used to seeing the one, the, the one tried and true WWF version of Jake for oh, sure. Totally,
0: it's, it is a big big shocker. You know, it's because a totally, of, totally different. It's like gimmick. polished Jake yeah. versus you know scruffy and Jake.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, and and Jake's talked about you know how much he you know he just loved the whole the whole persona, the whole thing. You know, and the the one thing you notice too, and something else, I always notice the little aesthetics. Uh, but Jake's boots that he wears are noticeably have lifts in them. I'm sorry, they have got a huge wedge in the sh- in the boot, which makes him a- even taller than what he really is because he's like six five six six. But he, I mean, he's towering over Ronnie Garvin in this match. I mean, he is huge, you so know.
0: Garvin's doing jumping punches.
1: Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. But um, you know, getting into the match itself, uh, and one of the things you'll notice is that how big Ronnie is over with the crowd. There is a section in the if you're looking at the TV screen watching the show up in your left-hand corner and it's nothing but like older women, probably women in their 60s, you know, maybe a little bit older. Did you say upper and, left? Yeah, upper left corner. Oh, yes. I have
2: notes on Nat, Nana Georgia <laughs> as I've nicknamed her. We're yeah. we'll- and, Talk about it it's, yeah.
1: it's like it's like a row of grandmas and oh yeah oh yeah and, it's and, awesome hat pin married as, as i was discussing with someone on twitter the other night if there were more grandmas and children at wrestling events i would be so happy because that's the kind of crowd i, I, I totally agree that's yeah. the kind of crowd that i want and it's the kind of crowd i grew up with and it's also the cr- kind of crowd that that really makes an event uh it's it's just a, a different atmosphere. But this match, a couple other nuances I noticed. You notice there's a chair in the corner, and Paul Ellering kind of just sits in the chair. That was kind of a, a, a an old adage, an old you know part of the wrestling business where they would put a chair, and the managers weren't really standing near ringside. A lot of times they would sit in a chair. They'd walk out, bring their man, and then sit at a chair and just kind of watch the match. They really weren't totally active which comes into play a little bit later when Garvin, you know, trying to jumps out the ring and hits and goes after Ellering and he's kind of scooting to get off the chair really quick. Um, But overall love this match. The 10, the first 10 minutes only are for the TV title, Pete. So that's the stipulation right at the beginning that you hear. So, you know, that there's this distinct possibility that the title's probably not going to change hands, but we're going to at least fight our way all the way to that 10 minute mark. And that's pretty much what happens. Um, The, biggest thing in the match that you know that really kind of takes that really kind of takes the I guess top level momentum of the match is kind of the, the point that where you feel like r- this match is going somewhere is when he hits Garvin with a foreign object. You know, he brings something out, and I'm not sure is, is he does is he really have a gimmick there, Peter? Is 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 Robert really have a gimmick, or did he pull something out? Or is, is it this towards the finish? Yeah, towards the finish, towards that the finish. That was his tape. Yeah, he took yeah. out his duct tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I couldn't his tell. Wrist tape. Right, I couldn't tell if it was like he was pulling something from his pants, or if it was the old Memphis the Memphis donut hole trick, where you think you got something in your in your hand, but you don't. I really couldn't no, tell didn't. what he, went he, on.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he used his wrist tape. He took okay. he around his wrist tape
2: and used it to. Oh, shit, like, guys, I I swore that he held up a chain
1: yeah i thought he held something up at the end too and i couldn't remember what it was
2: yeah, yeah i think it was his
1: wrist tape was it okay
2: yeah okay. i'm pretty sure he unwrapped it
1: well because you... he gives it to
2: ellering or ellering takes it right to, to get right get out but of, the... dodge
1: kind of a thing. yeah yeah and then he gets
2: searched which is brilliant yeah they they're just
1: want to check you know they're gonna check him and see but you know you know that was you know one of those interesting parts of the match and it was right towards the end and i know there's a lot more to the match than just that but i thought that the psychology of this match is is when we are really getting to see you know how great a psychologist jake is and how he's able to to create moments in a match you know ronnie garvin isn't your traditional you know great you know wrestler's wrestler he's a fighter He's the kind of guy that's going to make you fight and be in his match. But Jake finds a way to make that work with inside his own psychology. So I think that that's really what this match is about. It's a kind of a clash of styles. It's Jake, who's the ultimate in-ring psychologist versus Ronnie Garvin, who's just a, a typical brawler who has a lot of charisma and a lot of charm. Johnny P, man, where do you
0: fall?
2: Oh, this is why I love being friends with JB and not just doing podcasts with the guy. Because we, we, we have arguments like this on the phone for five hours on a random Saturday. So, not that, not like? that I'm, <laughs> yeah, not that I'm that far off from him. But I'm definitely the low man on this comparatively. Um, I saw this as more of a styles clash, so to speak. That. Could be good, but this was them kind of working out what they – I have no idea what part, if they even feuded. But feuded. I felt – This is a uh,
0: big-time feud. They feuded over this TV belt. Okay, so four, what, par- yeah. what
2: part of this is? Is this the beginning, the middle?
0: That I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, I'm pretty sure it. Yeah, this thing went all the way from 83 and into
1: 84. It would be closer to the middle to the end uh, because you know, looking back, we were asking earlier about was Jake – did Jake have the book? Jake had the book when when, Vin, when Vince came in. So, uh, so this would be pretty close to Jake having the book, and he held that TV title all the way up to that point.
2: Okay. Well, I'll just run through my thoughts on it. First of all, Garvin, the one-man gang, as JB pointed out, he has the hair and the look of a Buddy Rogers meets Pat Patterson uh, type of guy in the late 70s. Um, Garvin is holding the TV belt. And it's important to mention that although they, they tease the 30-minute draw limit, uh, they don't tease that they're going, that, that in the actual match, but they say, hey, look, it's a 30-minute time limit, but the belt is only on the line for the first 10 minutes, which I really, really like. Um, and I have seen this in more old-school promotions that I've attended over the last couple of years, and I think that that's a cool idea because – you can still have a match after that, but it but it allows it allows it to be like a house show or big event match without the constraints. And you can protect guys too with it. Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, Trevor Lee did stuff like that in the Carolinas uh, when he uh, had the had the uh, the TV belt. At the same time, he actually had their the title belt of the promotion that he worked for. Uh, the ref does that weird kick to the heels arm when he's grabbing the ropes. Uh, that I've. Never quite understood, and it actually kind of gets like a weird boo for a moment, which I related to. Um, I, I've never quite understood that that spot. G- do you know what that's about, guys? Well,
0: yeah, I, I think he's I, saying it's illegal. He's trying to turn the tide. It never really bothered. Me isn't it a ref break? So ra- isn't it
2: a rope break though? Isn't that the whole point? Is that you get to the ropes? It should be. Yes. And I see this, and I saw this all the way up to. Oh God! Like the early two thousands, you would still Most see it here and there.
0: Doing it uh, when the, the heel has like has like Flair has somebody in the figure four, and the ref catches him holding the rope, so he kicks him.
2: Right, right, but that, that's the only time it's ever made sense to me. I see it a lot in these kind of contexts where, I guess, the ref thought the guy was using leverage for something, but. He's the one on, on the... It's still during the babyface shine, but but anyway, I'll let it go. I just wanted to bring it up. Uh, here's the quote-unquote controversial part, because I'm high on Jake in this match more than I am on Garvin, and I really like Garvin, but this wasn't quite the Garvin that I really like. Um, I thought Jake was bumping, selling, and powdering out for Garvin. I thought Ellering was trying in vain for for the most part to, to interfere in subtle ways and be active while kind of still not eating up the scenery of the match that he's not actually in Garvin for his part was playing the part of the limited 1970s cliche worker still hanging around in 83. Uh, uh, And I I cannot overstate enough how I wrote the word corny and out of place. Ronnie Garvin's 1975 MSG offense felt to me, including like the leap when he did the elbow drop. Um, There's just like, I that's a telltale sign to me of something that I felt was kind of outmoded was the the leap to cause damage on either like a chop to the head or like an elbow. Um, When people do complain about territorial wrestling, people who are really in the high spots, usually they're kind of talking about that sort of thing. And this was the Ronnie Garvin that I didn't quite like, but I did feel Garvin eventually evolves and picks up the pace as the years go on. And he's usually crisper. So I I just thought that this was just a moment in time or match that just didn't quite connect with me. Uh, And I do want to back up JB, the old lady in the front row, top left post, by the top left post, if you guys are watching along, please watch Nana Georgia. She knows Ellering has the change, (laughs) but this ref won't effing listen. Uh, Jake used it, and her appeals go nowhere. So Jake wins the TV title in what I felt was a laugh. Cluster match that had a few good Bits and it had a fine set Piece at the end but I didn't Feel it had drive so it was a letdown for me personally That just might be a personal thing this is All personal but I'm willing to say I'm not trying I want to make it clear
0: John is still there
1: Okay we lost him Okay
0: message
2: him what happened oh here we go we lost yeah, you we lost you now you're back oh i was staying quiet because i had finished <laughs> okay all right
0: i then i i like this match so i'm on the complete opposite spectrum than you here john cool um i i'm a big mark for this stip. i love ron garvin comes in as the champ and the title is only up for the first 10 minutes of the match. I, I adore this stip, and I think it's one of the best stips. In, in, not, I just think it's one of the stips. If you're a smart booker uh, and or a smart worker, you can do so much stuff with it. The crowd is into everything both these guys are doing. I love Jake Sell of these Garvin Punches. Uh Garvin is full of all these type of really kick-ass punches. He's doing these jumping punches because Jake's so much taller than him. He's, I think he's, he's like the, the energy of this match. He's the one pushing the action. Um, then you know, he has Jake reeling, but finally Jake gets a desperation knee lift and gives him some uh, separation. And then you see uh, Jake starts working over Garvin's ribs and arms during, during his heat. And I thought Jake, that uh, uh, I, I thought, yeah. Uh, but then uh, Jake uh, would um, go for the sting and and would kind of slow down the pace uh, towards the towards the, like at the seven minute mark. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I'm waiting. I'm expecting Jake to start picking up the pace, but he kind of slows it down here, and I'm like, well, this is weird, I "I guess they're going to the 10-minute draw, and then all of a sudden, he sets up this brilliant, uh, uh, to the button wrapping of the, uh, of the tape, suckers Ronnie in, clotheslines him with the tape to stun him, and then hits him with the DDT, the steel that's for the title, I, I, I was not expecting that, and it was like, it was sudden, and it almost, I mean, and, and maybe Jake did it because he was expecting trying to sucker everybody in, thinking he was just going to coast into the draw, which I to me made no sense as he's challenging for the title. But maybe he was playing possum and suckered Jake in, and me suckered Ronnie in, and that's what we got. I I, I, I thought the, the finish was absolutely brilliant. Um, really good stuff and a way to set up rematches between the guys. Ronnie Garvin and me. I've always been a fan of his work. I like him. He's stuff. He's, he's tough, double tough. And if you don't fight back, he'll guzzle you up. Uh, I thought he was kind of Stone Cold Steve Austin before there was Stone Cold Steve Austin, and a lot of people use that phrase. But he just seems like a guy. He reminds me of Steve Austin with being tough, being a good old boy. I mean, though he's French Canadian, uh, it's just, and I, I just like this match. I thought. Uh, there was a lot, a lot to, to digest, and it was like JB mentioned it. It was a great master psychology class on Jake and the way he set up that finish, and and it was like you just, it was just like wow to me and stuff.
2: Absolutely, a great finish. I was going yeah, oh, want to it, reinforce that.
1: Yeah, to give some perspective here um, on kind of closing up on this match talking about the size difference here, it's almost 10 inches, almost a foot difference between oh, wow. Ron Garvin and Jake. Jake's 6'6 six, six without the boots. Ron Garvin's like 5'7, five, 5'8. Five, so you're talking about a huge difference here in size. And so there has to be a lot of psychological workings here to make this work. Ron Garvin, to the people of Georgia and East Tennessee and the Carolinas will forever be the badass of badasses. And it didn't matter that he was five foot seven or five foot eight. You know, he was that tough guy, you know, that rugged moniker that he eventually would pick up. But he was a legit tough guy. And as you said, Pete, you know, even though he was French Canadian, a uh, he uh, you know, definitely uh became an adopted son of the South. He yeah. was he was a guy that liked to hunt, liked to fish, drive his pickup truck, listened to Hank and Waylon. You know, he was the kind of guy that became like the this, you know, kind of a adopted son, and and he was the kind of guy that grandmas wanted to cook dinner for, and was hoping that their daughter would marry. You know, that was what that was what he became. And you know, Roddy Garvin is uh, to this day is a guy that can be you could go anywhere in the South and and people would still recognize him. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he did a re- a quote unquote retirement tour uh, last year uh, with. Uh, you know my friend and, and, and wrestling historian Bo James, uh, where he went throughout East Tennessee and uh, East Kentucky uh, to a lot of the old places that he would wrestle in the old days, uh, whether it would be with uh, Crockett or uh, the old days of ICW. And uh, it was turn away crowds in these little small towns. of, And they were packing high school gyms with two, three, four, five thousand 5,000 people to see Ronnie Garvin one last time. So he's that kind of star.
0: Wow, that says something. Then we get Jimmy Valiant versus Great Kabuki, and Kabuki has Gary Hart as his second. JB,
1: Jimmy Valiant versus Kabuki with Gary Hart, as uh, we mentioned the last time we were on a a podcast together. Huge, huge mark for Gary Hart. Always have been. Always will be. Always. I mean, to honestly, even as a kid watching Jimmy Valiant, I thought he was ridiculous. Uh, But, my God, is he over everywhere he went. There's nobody that was quite as over to as many people and as diverse a crowds as Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. You know, uh, I thought that um, Hart was great in his spots. Um, I thought the fact, you know, they started off, you know, attack, they attack, you know, Valiant early on. Kabuki and Hart are kind of on him. This this thing's. The referee, it was it was it Nick Patrick referee in this one or was it or was it Scrappy McGowan, Pete? I thought it was Nick Patrick. Yeah, it was Nick Patrick in this one. I couldn't remember which one it was, but he's lost control of this match from the beginning. I mean, it's just wild, it's all over the place. Um, as could be seen when we talked about earlier about the finish in this match. You know, he's totally, totally lost control of this match. But uh they post you know, he gets to the point where he even, you know, gets the crowd, you know, so fired up, Valley, and he's making the quick comeback after the quick attack, he posts kabuki in the corner which i thought was tremendous the crowd ate that up um heart you know hands kabuki an object and they scrape he scrapes jimmy valiant in the eyes uh he actually you know works a lot of different things here of course kabuki well known for the claw holds the nerve holds all that stuff is on display here and uh we get our first sign of blood in a match too and valiant gets busted open uh in this match um you know, and this is the match where the Memphis Donut Hole has worked, which which is done to perfection. It is done to perfection, which uh, which I always appreciate. Um, and as we said, you know, it was just kind of a, a cluster. That's all I can say. It was really a cluster in many ways, but we eventually get to this finish where Patrick has been, you know, kind of knocked out, and he's just kind of, you know, trying to kind of groggy, trying to get it back, get his faculties back together, and somehow, some way, Valiant is got. Gary Hart pinned, and the the uh, pin is on Gary Hart for the one, two, three, and the fans go wild.
0: Yeah, they didn't matter that it was a fuck finish. It, we got what we, we got, what we wanted, uh, and stuff. And uh, but man, it, I thought the match was so much fun. It had an energy to it. You can kind of see Hulk Hogan took this template. And, and actually, and, I mean, Valiant drew money, but Hogan, you know, took it to a whole nother level. And But this is pretty much kind of like how Hogan would work. Uh, he'd look, come out strong, start selling, make a comeback, bada-bing, bada-boom. And and, and, and you see Valiant working in this, you know, the band from New York City. This is a few that's, like, spanned multiple territories. I love how Valiant attacks hard early on. Crowd is eating Everything up from Valiant. I love how hearts uh sneaks something to Kabuki and Valiant gets it in uh gets it in the eyes. Um match gets over because both both characters are so strong. Uh enjoying uh I'm enjoying all of Kabuki's like cutoffs, but and I like it. it's actually worked pretty well because Kabuki can be a guy who can put on a nerve hold and, and really set you in on the nerve hold. But here I thought they worked it smartly, where it wasn't nerve holes per se, but they used the claw. And you know what? The claw is way more over, and you buy into it more as a finish than when you grab somebody by the by the by the shoulder or whatever and put them in a and put them in a, a nerve hole. So here, I'm buying. I'm loving how these st- all the little you know little nerve hole spots ended up being claw spots. Uh, which I dug into that I thought I thought they worked it really smart that way um and then you know kabuki isn't doesn't have a whole lot of offense in this thing so actually keeping valiant uh having to sell a little here but staying on offense a lot of the match I thought did a good job of protecting kabuki and his gimmick um you know he guess I like how early in the match kabuki goes for the mist and Valiant turns sideways so he only gets it on the rib cage. Uh, it's really good and and but man, what an eighties fuck finished.
1: Oh having, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, Gary Hart get pinned. I I absolutely uh, thought that was uh, absolutely brilliant. So John, you want to talk about Valiant and Kabuki then?
2: Valiant is great at the call and response stuff of wrestling. He gives the look to each side. Do you want me to hit this guy with my cock fist while he acts helpless? Yes. He delivers the shot and then dances. We did it with with an exclamation on we. We did it. Like, you're with me. I call out. You respond with what I already knew that you would. And then I do the thing. And then you do. And I call out again. And you do another response. So, yeah.
1: He's the kind of guy that like if you saw him on the street there's no way in hell that you would even talk to him. Right. But you put him in a wrestling arena and every grandma wants to hug him. It's 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 the weird it's yeah, it's, a, it's a contextual thing. It, it's like it makes no sense. It's it's like the most oxymoronic thing it's ever it's ever been, you know, it
2: really Well, it's right it's, it's right ro- ro- it's, you know, you were around this a lot. It's rock bands in a sense. There's just certain yeah. enter- entertainers of all type you go like I want now, I, I want Trent Reznor to be a dark person, yes. but in real life, I'd be like, I'm worried about my friend. I don't think he should be around this and that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but in, keep, keep all sharps away from him. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Like as a human being, I thought it was great that he kind of like found himself in his life. And like, I still like his music periodically and, and, uh, and where he's gone, but I'm sure the teenager in me is like, what's this guy doing growing up and, like, leaving Neverland? Like, he's supposed to <laughs> be my dark teenage whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, it's why stars like Kurt Cobain will be remembered so fondly because they die before they have a chance to become Fat Elvis. You
1: know? uh, yes, so, yes. And Jimmy Valiant definitely became Fat Elvis. So. Yeah, oh,
2: exactly. After and the other for a thing while, it's like, oh, Jesus. This again."
0: For him. If you look at, it, he's working in Georgia. He's working in the Carolinas, which are, are like a work rate promotions, or if you want to say that, where they have higher quality work than say, like like Jimmy Valley wouldn't stand out on New York in New York no. uh, doing this, but he stands out in these other places because of it's a totally different style what than everyone else is doing.
1: But see, there's a difference between Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy and Hampton, Jimmy in Memphis, right. Yeah, there's a to- totally different character in really okay. many ways.
2: Well, what is that? See, I don't, I don't, so, feel like I know it enough.
1: So in Memphis is Handsome Jimmy. He's like a legit, like he's just this rough and tumble guy. But there's a lot less shtick.
2: because he's kind of like a tough hillbilly type.
1: Right, right. He's yeah. just like he's like you know, this is this is Handsome Jimmy coming to you from New York City. You know, this is like he plays up the whole like I'm from New York. I'm a right 70s 70 80s character right. yeah when he right. still had
0: a pretty good body
1: you know yeah yeah I mean he did have a good body I mean yeah. he had big arms and you know a big barrel chest you know he was you know legit and then of course you get the famous promo where or uh Luller calls him a fag on TV you yes. know that's you know that's the you know that that moment um and where they uh Jimmy is like I guess uh w- brainwashed or, or brainwashed uh Wayne Ferris <laughs> into into being something different, you know. Oh. And yeah, that's yeah, that's that's kind of what Lawler's you know in, implying. Right. You know, but um yeah, it's you know, the Han- handsome Jimmy character is a lot different than the Boogie-Woogie man. Boogie-Woogie man is a goofy cartoonish over the top kind of character uh that's kind of the kind of a local loon ball, and then you've got uh, Handsome, which is more of a tough brawler guy.
0: Uh, is your hot take, Johnny P., on Buzz, Sawyer versus Abby, Abdullah the Butcher.
2: Okay, hot take. Uh, get ready for this, Gen Xers, who are older than me. Abby is a guy that Gen Xers before me held in high regard like Brody because they were afraid of, of those guys. They had an aura when they were younger. For me, not so much. I saw Abby when I was a kid. I live in Allentown, and Afar still ran this town. So I saw Abby wrestle when I was a kid, and I definitely was afraid of the dude. And then that just kind of, like, wears away because you're like, I don't know what else this guy does. Like, I don't want him to stab me with a fork, but I I just – he's so limited. Abby sucks. (laughs) Abby is like – he does right hand. He doesn't even use his left hand. He does right hands. He does finger jab to the throat. He's short. He's a fat carny who doesn't talk. He doesn't sell. He can't run. He can't kick. He can't even change his stupid facial expression. Fuck Abby. I still like Brody, though. But that's my little shot at the Gen Xers just a few years older than me. Um, I love Buzz here. I just didn't really like Abby. I just thought he was lazy in everything he did. Buzz is amazing. There's this moment just a few seconds into this match where they take it outside right away. You know it's going to be a brawl. It's a freaking Abby match. It's a double-juice match. And he already busts um, <clears throat> Sawyer open. So, Sawyer does this thing, and I didn't realize it until this match. he They brawl around ringside, and the way he registers before he sells is unbelievable. He falls over the rails. And I realize Buzz Sawyer is like a white, trash, hillbilly, Terry Funk. Abby that's limited. Good. That's, a good, that's, that's good. That's good. That's good. I mean, they don't look at all, like, I'm not trying to, like, put, you know, I'm not trying to, like, reinvent the wheel with the Terry Funk comparison, but I feel like that is apt in moments, that he is this white trash hillbilly Terry Funk. Terry Funk is this angry dad who you'd kind of be afraid of, but I feel like Buzz Sawyer definitely beats you if he's your dad. That's that's where I'm going with that. Um, the, the structure of this is pretty basic. Oh, oh, I was going to say, Sawyer finally makes it to his feet I shouldn't say finally, but he makes it to his feet and people are pumped about it. And he does this on the outside while he's already bleeding. And then he does it on the inside and people are pumping. I'm like, wow, Buzz is already in over baby phase, And then it just becomes getting cut off. Like the cutoff spots that you would see in like rock and roll versus Midnight Express matches are very intricate. Whereas this is just like, is Buzz going to get up? Oh, wow. He's somehow still alive. He's going to get up. Oh, Abby just stumbles into him and clotheslines him. And, like, by the way, I'm being a little bit sarcastic and trying to be funny, but like, Abby does things like the clothesline is like, it would look sloppy to a lot of people, but it's really meaty and it's just perfect for, for that moment and in, in time, that character, and really just wrestling in 1983. <clears throat> and basically, the moment that the transition in this match, the tra- transition spot is like Sawyer gets the gimmick from Abby having like, screwdrivers him, jabs him, whatever he had there. Spikes him. Forks him, right? <clears throat> Fork with tape around the handle. And then Sawyer just gets it back, and Sawyer gets his retribution. That's the comeback. That's the end of the match. And there's blood. That's what you get. Obviously, you're not going to get the finish. The match is actually pretty quick. It's the aftermatch that's really nuts. Um, at one point, um, 1983, Larry David, who's in the audience to the right, uh, while they're fighting... By the entrance, uh, th- that 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 little separation in the in the ringside barriers. Larry David just kind of like walks over and like says something to the security or, or a ringside guy about how like the barricade's been moved. He seems very conserved that like they're messing up the barricade, which I thought was freaking hilarious. Um, the post match brawl lasts longer than the match, and people were really into it. This was probably very unique for 1983. Walk around brawls in the Omni. Um, But Buzz is the all-star for me. His movements, his selling, his style, how he did everything, his execution, his character depiction, etc., it's all beautiful. My enduring memory from this match is the heart and determination of Sawyer, as well as the idea that Sawyer, Buzz freaking Sawyer, can actually be an effective babyface. It's something I haven't really explored that much personally, so I loved it.
0: JB, what about you, man? Where are you following Abby? Are you uh, in in Team John on this one, or in Team Pete?
1: Uh, a... <laughs> oh, I didn't know where, that. Where is Team Pete? Team is, Pete is—is he already like—are you showing his cards here? Let's see. i may have ruined the uh, friendship, I, I, I love Abby. I love the gimmick.
0: He terrified, the living shit out of me. uh well, yeah. I think there's really good Abby and there's shitty Abby. There's not a lot of in between Abby. That's that's
1: that's exactly what that's kind of where I where I where I kind of fall. Uh I, I did share earlier like when uh we were on our a uh, little bit of a brief break here on on the show a, a young picture of Abby on our Twitter uh, DMs oh, that, that, that is a young Abby, believe it or not, John, in that wow. picture. Uh I saw that on Twitter today. Someone was passing it around and that's a that's a a younger Ernie Roth as his manager. In oh, was he
2: doing it as Abdullah. Um, what was the gimmick there?
1: I can't remember what it was. It was more
2: Abdullah Falk. Is that how you said
1: it? Like, I, I care what it was. He's more of more along the lines of a, a Middle Eastern kind of yes. fez type genie yes. almost. But uh, that's a svelte Abbey. Oh, that's <laughs> for a, sure. Yeah,
2: that's an Abbey that could fight. Yeah,
1: yeah that's a, yeah, that's definitely a different kind of Abdullah. Uh, but this match, you know, it it is a you know we know it's going to be a bloody brawl. Uh, Sawyer attacks Ellering. They brawl outside. Abby gets the advantage. Sawyer's busted open, and almost immediately it seems Buzz busts Abby open with the gimmick. You know when he steals the gimmick back and gets gets his hand. Abby picks up the freaking bell hammer and hits Buzz Sawyer with it, which I thought was just <laughs> tremendous. And then soon after him grabbing the hammer, it's pretty much it's a time limit bloodbath. You know. Uh, Buzz clocks the referee. Abby headbutts the referee. Uh, the railing is like you mentioned earlier, John is not mounted to the floor and sliding all it's over. Slid, yeah. It's lodged, yeah. It's sliding everywhere, and you can see the cops who are trying to like hold it together and push it back and try to keep everything together. This is a wild ass brawl. It's in, it's deep into the bowels of the Omni at this point. It's through the crowd, Hep C's flying everywhere. You know, at this <laughs> point, you know, Buzz is, you know. And then eventually we work back until Buzz gets back into the ring after Abby is kind of dismissed and walks away. And he gets down on all fours and starts barking like a wild man. Oh, and, and you know, and the fans have just lost it at this point. You know, they are bought and sold on Buzz Sawyer being the next hot babyface in Atlanta, Georgia. And Buzz Sawyer at this point has the proverbial rocket strapped to his ass and ready to go to the top.
2: Let me throw a rose before Pete skewers me real quick. Uh, and it's more of a rose for Buzz again. I'm very interested to see if you thought this was the, the good Abby, by the way, Pete. But I do want to say they do uh, – J.B., you nailed that part of it. He, They do uh, – I shouldn't say he. They do chaotic really well in this segment. They both do chaotic to the point where people are – it reminded me – um, I'm a very jaded old man, by the way, at 38 years old, if you haven't noticed from being my friend. And you're
1: the youngest one in this crowd. I so know, I know. So I, know. <laughs> um, so
2: I just kind of, like, watched through through that brawl, even though I, like, appreciated moments. I'm just like, these are things I have seen. I grew up on ECW, even though this predates it by, like, you know, over 10 years. A lot. but, but Right, but, like, see, I didn't have that. It's the same reason I didn't care as much about the uh, the Tupelo concession stand brawl. Um It's not that I hated it. I was just like, okay, these are things I have seen um, because it's out of order for me. But I will say this. I'll use the ECW references I've been making this whole time to say this must have felt to that Georgia crowd like it felt for me to go to Ag Hall in Allentown when ECW came to town September of 96 and watch Primetime Brian Lee versus uh, Tommy Dreamer brawl all over the building. Do a table spot that was the uh, the Feinstein videos thing, which was hilarious. People diving on the floor for free videos. And then going outside and somebody hit poor John Finnegan with something, like just threw it into the middle of the crowd and it hit John. Then he orders it back inside and people just knock over like the – there was some kind of like rope sign thing. People just bulldozed it running after this. This is what the Georgia match felt like. If that Isn't gives that you guys. the one where Dreamer takes the
0: choke slam off the big uh, uh, from the crow's nest.
2: No, that's at the actual ECW arena. Uh, okay. Okay. The 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 thing I'm referring to is I think it's a if you have fan access to fan cams, everybody. I, I believe it's Ag Hall, September 27th, 1996. It is my very first ECW show. And I'd also just like to throw out there, JB, since we got disconnected, that uh, are you saying that Ronnie Garvin, because of the size uh, thing, even, even though he was shorter, he was legit. He was like the first version of Taz.
1: Uh, yeah, brother, I had to shoot.
2: <laughs> very well, very well. Of course, I'm a shooter. Did you hear that story before? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, then I'll, then I'll let it be, because I don't want to take us too far off. Okay, Pete, I've... I uh, I've um i built this up now.
0: Okay, well, Good would, yeah, the bad This Abby? is a great Buzz Sawyer performance, but I thought Abby was strong in this because oh. Buzz couldn't do this on his own by himself, and Abby was very giving because he, he beat up Buzz, but he took a lot from Buzz, too. I mean, Buzz attacks early on, and, and Buzz and Abby are just fighting all over the fucking place. Sawyer's busted open. Abby grabs that fucking fork, and just starts jabbing it in fucking Buzz's fucking mouth. I mean, fuck! I mean, give me a break! And uh, now Sawyer has his own, has one of his own, and he starts carving up old Abby. You get this double DQ. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, he gets a little weapony, but my God, it's violent as fuck. Uh, it's still pretty fun. He got over. Uh, Really working with with a, uh, it felt like they were working to build to a big old cage match between the two, but no, this is like a one, one, one off. I think Abby might have worked another show uh, on the loop, and then he was out of town, not to come back anytime soon. And uh, but my gosh, all the brawling post match just made it epic. And coming out of it, uh, Buzz Sawyer's walking tall as one of them walking tall baby faces. And it was tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't put it up there on, like, the Buzz Sawyer, Hacksaw, Duggan uh, brawls, but this was violent as fuck. It it took took what Abby did well and took what Buzz did well, and they meshed it, and it was fan-freaking-tastic. Next up, we got the Road Warriors versus Dusty and Brett Sawyer. JB, man, what were you thinking on
1: this one? You know, I, this one I'm kind of disappointed in. To be honest with you, I'm not a huge Brett Sawyer fan. After seeing Buzz, the uh, I guess the kayfabe brother of, of Brett, uh, in that first in that last match where he's just so over the top and so great, um, Brett's a letdown. Um, the, the roadies are the roadies and, and, you know, they're everything that you, that you'd want, uh, out of a tag team going into the 1980s and Dusty's dusty here. Dusty really is, you know, doing all of the same dusty spots. Uh, Dusty could find any tag team partner and make it work. I mean, my God, he made it work with, 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 uh, Mil Mascaris. He can make it work with anybody else, you know, so, it, it you know, Dust, Dusty can make it work. Um, you know. Sawyer. it starts off with sawyer versus hawk uh just kind of a, a mishmash of styles there did you notice how big of a knee brace brett sawyer's wearing is his knee just that messed up paint at this point or is he yeah, really they,
0: they, they did and i it's pretty messed up and then on top of it they did they were doing an injury angle with him too so i don't know but yeah he's it was, I think it was pretty
1: messed up. At this I mean, time. I mean, for 1980s standards, that was even a big leg brace. I mean, Larry Bird is saying, oh "My God, that's a huge leg brace." I mean, it's oh, like yeah. it's no. it's like it's it's huge at this point. I don't. i mean, it, it looked like he was wearing like a double or triple size, you know, knee brace, and it was kind of it. It was just very pronounced. Um, yeah, it
0: looked like something straight off on an arthroscopic surgery type.
1: Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back then, of course, you know, arthroscopic surgery meant that you were you were out for the count, down for the count for for good for the most part. Yeah. Uh but uh you know, I thought Dusty was good in his comedy spots, you know, the kind of you know, the sticky stuff that he would do in the match. Uh, eventually you know we get to the point to where in this match buzz makes another return to the ring and in for the save i think this was just a way to further push buzz sawyer this match i don't think it was really a much of a match for the road warriors and dusty and brett sawyer i think it was easy work for dusty to make a paycheck the roadies to do the be the roadies and then uh let's further push this uh buzz uh, sawyer uh storyline
0: yep where do you fall on this one john
1: Somewhere in the middle,
2: but uh, as usual, we have a little bit of differences uh, in the way we saw some of the stuff, JB. All right, I'll start from the end and and work my way back, so to speak. So I I thought the finish was a letdown, but the post-match I thought was pretty awesome. Probably why they even had the match to begin with, with Dusty teaming with Brett Sawyer. So I was mentally able to go, oh, this is why this makes sense, because otherwise why the F is, you know, Brett Wayne Sawyer out there with Dusty in the semi-main against the roadies, even though it's young roadies, you know. I, I thought the baby phase shine was too long in this, but it was really entertaining and really good. And the only reason I thought it was it was too long is because I thought, yeah, they kind of do the, the turn at the 10-minute mark. A lot of wrestlers or, or, or matches will use the, the time call as the moment when they turn things. So it's kind of their cue. Uh, like, right around the 10-minute mark, they go from the Babyface Shine to the Road Warriors taking control. But the problem for me was that the roadies' control was, like, really dull and basic. It was effective. Andy, the baby,
0: here's a question for you, John. Do you think maybe yeah. that's why the shine was so long? Because oh, yeah. Because the roadies couldn't do a heat that was going to be interesting?
2: Yes. They're, they're not quite the Road Warriors. Not that they were ever, like, super workers, but you don't have to do a million – you know – a ten foot uh, double drop kick. You don't have to know. You don't have to be Zack Sabre Jr. You don't have to be Ricochet. Um, they were doing a lot of rinse and repeat on the head uh, with the, oh, the spot. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to get to. Yeah, definitely. the bear hug thing was like they just don't know what to do past that, and yeah. they're trying to get the heat on uh, Brett Sawyer. Um, yeah, so it was the, the first ten minutes is what you want out of it, and and to me, uh, the Road Warriors didn't have the Ari yet but that's okay for this match because Bretzler to me see this is where we differ JB I thought he acquitted himself pretty well Um, I didn't think he shrunk in the moment at all and I thought he was perfect to be sympathetic for this naturally before we even get to that part and you know if he's teaming with Dusty he's going to be the one who gets beat down Oh yeah, without
1: a, without a doubt. I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree with you there for sure. I think that you know Brett definitely played his role. I just didn't feel like uh, of all of the tag team partners that Dusty could have at this moment, it just didn't make a lot of sense going against the Roadies.
2: So, well, see, see, I would argue that it, it's a whole matter of perspective because I know what you're saying, but to me, the finish justified the match in the I sense- will say it makes sense
0: in the sense. That they're building to the Sawyer brothers versus the Road Warriors, and that's why Dusty, that's why Sawyer was in that. Book.
2: Right, right. It I was saw. only there because oh, he, you know, he gets the rub from Dusty. It's against the the Roadies who they're building up. It's semi main event, and you're going, why is Brett Wayne Sawyer with him? And then Brett get they 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 put him in a position to succeed a few times. Like I love that he go, he does the go through the legs thing. Did, do you guys like that spot or even remember that spot? Yeah.
1: Uh, I remember that spot. Oh, yeah.
2: I like that he went went through through this the legs on the test of strength and he either punches or he drop kicks him. But he pun- he punches. Point being, yeah. Okay. Point being is that the ends justifies the means kind of a thing where him get, getting beat up and Buzz running out spirit of 76 uh headband on and saving him and just, just like how visceral that is. Like Buzz must have stiffed the fuck out of a lot of people in wrestling not just here but just in general cuz he just seems like a guy who gets way too into the moment the moment and the adrenaline and maybe on some substances he stiffed
1: and, people. he stiff people in real life much less in the ring yes
2: yeah. <laughs> right 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 and not just you know Physically, but also like if you paid him to train in oh, like yeah. the local park. The local park, he may yes. like. Not, first of all, he didn't have a place to train, but he also wouldn't show up at the local park to have you just do like pull-ups on a place or whatever.
1: Wasn't so yeah, anyway, wasn't that the story of Magnum TA? Is that correct? Magnum, it's somebody's yeah, story. Yeah. Undertaker, uh, Undertaker as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yes, yes. Yeah, they both got took by uh, by Buzz. Last last
2: comment. Uh, other than the fact that hey, this is only like what two three weeks before, before the very first Starcade, which uh, made me Dusty was or was not on that first Starcade.
1: I'm forgetting. I thought he, he, he was. Didn't wrestle on it. He didn't but wrestle. It. He, he, he was he was helping put the he put the event together essentially, yeah. but uh wasn't, right, right. yeah, wasn't
2: wasn't and wasn't the Booker of Record as I recall, right? Wasn't that uh, Funk Junior?
1: Mm, that I'm not sure.
2: Well, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I got to dip in. in the They had uh, they the triumphant uh, thing. Right? Frank
0: Junior was booking. Gary Hart was running some towns. Wahoo! I believe was running some towns.
2: Yeah. Well, they and said I think that
0: Ernie Ladd might have been running. Towns.
2: I was That's about definitely. to say Ladd. I, I didn't think of the other one. Hart, in his book, says that they each got like a state, like South Carolina and North yeah. Carolina, and I think Virginia. And yeah, it was like uh, Wahoo. I don't remember, but I remember Ladd's name, Hart's name, and funk jr and i thought funk jr was ultimately in charge of this event yeah, because it was North Carolina. The yeah um anyway i'll leave you with this i have to d- dip into the collection and or youtube but i'm imagining that paul ellering and gary hart have to be all over the tv for the for this period of of, of time regardless of whatever episode from like october through because they basically have to talk for like three or four guys right Paul things
0: all, all over it because he's the manager of the Legion of Doom. Right. So at this point, he has the Road Road Warriors. He has Jake. Uh, he has the incoming King Kong Bundy. Um. So yeah. So they have. He's that's their stable, the Legion of Doom. And he's bleach
2: blonde, Paul. Pretty Paul. Yes, he is. Really. Precious. For precious those of Paul, you who yes. who are my age or younger, definitely younger, but my age is sort of. The- the cutoff. The Paul Ellering, who is a little bit more reserved, uh, who kind of like the guy you'd see on NXT, uh, like a, a, what, two or three years ago with the uh, the AOP. That that guy isn't quite this character. This is oh god, a no, little no. different of a character. Just so you know, he's a you little know, bit more exuberant check, than in the foreground. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, flamboyant. Yeah. Check him out. Check him out in mid south on those early on that early footage on the. uh, on network. Yeah, yeah, on the network. Oh, God. He's he's ridiculously over the top in mid-south. Okay, cool.
0: I'm um you know, this is my least favorite match of the show. Um it still had a lot a lot of things going on I enjoyed, but it it just was my least favorite though. Dusty though is one of my all-time favorite apron workers. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I love seeing the Warriors stooge and show ass for Dusty because Georgia, I will honestly will say, it's, it's a I don't want to say a black hole, but I have not seen a whole lot of the Road Warriors from Georgia. I've seen a, a little bit, and they just seem like green muscle heads. Here they actually showed some timing and, uh, and showed some weird heel charisma uh, that I didn't think they were going to have, uh, but it's totally not their character that we've come to know and love. But it, it's, it's, it's almost like an alternative uh, universe of the Road Warriors that they were evil the whole entire time. And it was just, it's just odd almost because you're taken aback by it. I like Sawyer, how he used his speed in the match. But there is some gro- green moments with the roadies, some timing issues here and there. Um, the roadies destroying uh, Sawyer's back. And well, we just get a ton of, uh, rinse and repeat on of this because they don't uh, they don't have a whole lot in their arsenal. Uh, they, they probably don't get. I don't think opponents trust them and throw a punch um, or a clothesline because it's going to be stiff as fuck. They think probably the safest route is eating a bear hug for for however long it was. Dusty gets the hack hot tag, uh, but we're back. Uh, but we go. We build into this non finish. Uh, but the post match, where Buzz again comes out looking like a huge star, yeah, this is a show built all about Buzz Sawyer. And it's almost like I'm wondering, because yeah, he is coming off this hot, wild match with Abby, then comes here. I wonder <coughs> if it would have worked even better if he saves his brother and then goes toe to toe with the monster, um, and would have would have would have helped him get over even more. I'm not sure because uh, he's he's smelling like a rose. Uh, coming out of these, uh, out of these angles.
2: Hey, hot take. I think this really. If I'm in the crowd, I think Buzz is awesome. But I go from like, oh, like this little, you know, Brett Sawyer guy. Like, all right, Dusty seems to like him. He's acquitting himself well. And then Buzz like carries him out, like he's a princess in a Disney movie who's wounded. Like he's Miss Elizabeth to, to to Macho Man. Like it just made me kind of think. Of Buzz Sawyer is like, like, why doesn't he have a stretcher? He kind of feels silly to me that he's being carried out by his brother.
0: Eh, I think maybe they're doing that, just showing sympathy. And I mean, and then they're setting up revenge angles, a revenge feud with the Sawyer brothers. Just the road. Oh, readers,
2: all that's so. true, but I just but think it's a
0: stretcher. But I think, I mean, this is again, this is the rehabilitating buzz coming off one losing to Tommy Rich in the feud. Two, they're making him – it's tough to become the guy who lost the feud and now making him a baby face. So they're doing everything humanly possible to put sympathy with Buzz. And I think, I think of the pictures in the aftermags or something of him carrying his beaten up brother, I, I, think, it is, I think it's just a more of an emotional uh, tug on the emotional cord than doing a stretcher job.
2: Well, I don't know about Bill being there or any of their associates, but I George Napolitano is all over this this uh, footage.
1: Oh yeah, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. everywhere and there's and there's Japanese photographers there too, right? So there's there's you know several different people there, you know, taking pictures for sure.
2: So real quick, am I the high man on this map? You know? Um, is that okay?
1: yeah. Like but I know, like so, maybe.
2: So Pete, I mean, I, JB, you don't really quantify, but but um. Pete, did you give this a star rating?
0: I, I'd give it two stars. I mean, I, I thought it was a solid wrestling match. Okay, uh, I as mean, I recall, I gave less, it... Maybe a star or three-fourths. I mean, oh, yeah, was a lot that. of down, boring-ass... I mean, there was some stuff I enjoyed, but there was a lot of boring stuff and there's some timing issues.
1: Okay. I mean, it's early. It's early roadies, because so you know there's going to yeah. be some of that. That's for sure. And their Georgia run is really their first big spot nationally. Yeah. You know, getting a chance to uh, to work out the kinks, but you know, getting a chance to be with 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 Paul, and then obviously being around Jake and being around some of the other guys there. Uh, I think that it probably had a big part in helping develop. Uh, the psychology and understanding the game itself of wrestling, for uh, for Hawk and Animal, but I was I heard a story uh, last week about Hawk on another podcast where I guess it was probably years later, maybe maybe ten years or so after this this match, uh, Hawk finally his he had a moment of clarity through the drugs and everything else. Um, he was talking to someone and was thinking about just how many you know, job guys he had hurt in matches. And so he started every town he would go to, he'd pick up the yellow pages and start looking up people and calling them and and, and apologizing for hurting them. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, and he just had this moment of clarity like, oh my God, I like I there's some guys I really did hurt and I hurt bad. And the truth is Oli was telling them to just go out there and just raise hell. And just beat the shit out of these guys. It had nothing to do with you know them learning anything. It was they came straight out of uh, you know Eddie Eddie Sharkey school. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, they were they were, ba- yeah. they were bouncers and, and it came straight out of Eddie Sharkey. It didn't really have a hell of a lot of training. And Eddie Sharkey kind of became the the guy to bring in those meathead type guys into the business. And that was kind of his MO there for a long time. And it was just a factory of these tough guys who really didn't have a hell of a lot of training uh, just to g- come straight into the business. But I thought that was an interesting story about Hawk later on. This was, you know, actually, I think maybe towards the end of, uh, you know, his, his life, uh, you know, he was starting to really think about some of this stuff and he had and, 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 and stuff right yeah, 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 yeah. He kind of just kind of, Figured out, you know, hey, uh, I probably should start calling some of these guys up and apologizing. And he would go town to town and start doing that. He would just find the yellow pages and try to find some guys that he knew were there was job guys who had worked. And
0: look at uh, you look at something like you brought up Eddie Sharkey and the Meatheads. I mean, you had the Road Warriors, and and they got to learn a lot from Paul. Then you have uh, Nikita and and uh, Khrushchev end up learning a lot from. Ivan and then Khrushchev also learned a lot from uh, Nikolai and his running right and and, right. and getting paired with luckily they got paired with some great veterans. Who,
1: yeah, because those guys didn't have a chance because they were just brought yeah. straight out. There's this huge muscle bound guys. It was, you know, they just came straight from Minneapolis. They were what they were all bouncers at Grandma B's I believe, yeah. was, the, was the place. You know, and they all just kind of uh, uh, Rick and another Rick, one. Richards and that cl- in that class of guys there too. You know, legit tough guys who just were just uh, brought into the business because of their look, and but we can't really say that they didn't find a way or find a way to carve their space out or learn some psychology or learn the business because they did find their way and it did go beyond just the uh, typical you know tough guy beat up the jobber mentality. They did find their way in the business. They
0: all drew money in some yeah, at some level, absolutely, you know?
1: absolutely, every one of them did. Uh, it's just uh, you know. Seeing matches this early on with the Road Warriors, you realize the potential is there, but it's it's you know they're they're green as goose shit. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a fact. Then we get Tommy Rich versus Ted DiBiase. Johnny, man, what do you think of this one?
2: This uh, this kind of bookends. Like I, I was saying, that my favorite match was probably the first match. The only thing that comes close to it for me is the main event. So we kind of bookend it. I would even go three and a fourth on this one if we're going to use stars. And that's fine, by the way. Um, Like, just to jump to the end kind of a thing of whether this was a good show or or a bad show. I think it was a good show. I think not everything should be a race to the top as far as, like, matches. Like, this this moved everything along as far as, as, like, the greater story. And nobody embarrassed themselves on this show. Like I don't love Jim uh, the Boogie Woogie Man, but that match was fine. That was a mid. That was a perfect mid card feud match that was, was over. I don't love You're Abby. Different than the rest of the card, the right. of the
0: Matches on the show.
2: I don't love Abby. That match was valid for me because of the post match stuff, and a lot of people liked the the double juice, uh, short fork match aspect to it. That's fine. You know, this match is really cool. I love right away how, um, like they're not even zoomed in yet. DiBiase comes out to meet him in the middle of the ring, and it's like a King of the Mountain spot that they do two or three times, where Rich just has to defend. Like I have a note, like oh, this is cool. They're both working really hard, but especially Rich, because DiBiase comes at him and he has to react to DiBiase and fight this dude off. You feel like he. Even though your brain knows it's pro wrestling, it's that suspension of of disbelief where you're like, man, if Dibiase gets to him, he'll control him and beat him up. So Rich has to to throw punches faster. He has to get him off him because it's just like if a dude attacked you in the street and you were the type to defend yourself and not just kind of like emotionally freak out or fold, you'd be throwing every appendage you have and probably physical items at the person. As much as possible, if you were going to stand your ground, that's what Rich does. And they do this smart thing where DiBiase comes in, and he gets, he has to powder out after he gets beat back. He comes in, and he gets beat down, and he has to move back. And he goes for a third time, and this time they go to – I think it's – is it the headlock takeover? I know I have a note on this. Um, Sorry, guys. But, it went uh, into a big headlock exchange. So it was a headlock thing. Okay, thank you, because I don't actually have the note here. Um I thought DiBiase uh, established himself as a desperate heel when he was getting beat back and he has to do something. Uh As he's getting taken down, they do the whole headlock battle and him trying to get out. He keeps grabbing the tights and trying to cradle Rich back to, to not only remind everybody, hey, I'm the bad guy, don't cheer for me. If this is your first night here, tip your waitresses and boo me but also to establish the story, which I think was really cool. It, it, it's right. You get it. DiBiase just can't figure him out. He keeps trying stuff. It's well established. Uh, DiBiase also gets into it with the Jack special referee. Does anybody know who that guy was? Japanese?
1: No, like, the special referee in this match.
2: Oh yeah, it's
0: um, Pez Watley.
1: Pez Watley.
2: Okay, yeah, I said yeah. the jacked special referee.
1: Teacher. Yeah.
2: So yeah, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize it was Pez Watley, and without announcing, like I would have remembered that the Pez was actually kind of see Pez to me is still kind of like a jobber guy from the Nitro era, even though I know he was kind of somebody in the Georgia territory and one or two others.
1: Um, yeah, he's he's a Chattanooga guy, so yeah. yeah he... He got over, yeah, he
0: did the,
2: he was in
1: Continental, he got over. Mm-hmm. Did he, he do Crockett as well? Yeah, he, he was a Crockett, Crockett yeah. yeah. yeah cause he, he was Watley. That's right, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, and the Crocket He had era.
2: that great promo at the Crockett Cup. I think DiBiase probably grabbed one too many rest holds, but that is not his fault because Rich really burned, he was hamstrung by Rich using the headlock as a story piece and, and what I would call a set piece, so to speak within the first half of the match it's it's a small complaint it's just like a nit to be picked this is an awesome match uh rich is a super compelling face especially from underneath even when he especially when he bleeds he's a i know this sounds weird for younger people if you are listening you're probably not we have this term he's a good bleeder (laughs) he's a very good bleeder
1: oh he's a world-class bleeder come on yeah
2: and and it always feels like he's a moment away from taking back control and beating DiBiase. So that desperation that DiBiase has, uh, it, I have a note here. Uh, DiBiase show as, as it goes on, he goes from desperation to this feeling of, of exhaustion and frustration. And he makes sure to breathe heavy and he makes sure to be labored in how he gets up from the mat after he can't finish him, he can't beat him. Uh, he's not able, able to handle the dude, and I thought he dealt with it in the best little character details and, like, this subtlety perform. Like, wrestling's not a subtle thing a lot of the time. He performed it well subtly, that you got it, but it wasn't that Vince McMahon, WWE subtlety hammer where the, where the guy's being really obvious. And then in Michael Cole's ear set, they're like, just flat-out expository dialogue, say it over and over, the thing that we want to get across. So, DiBiase's anxiety of the Rich comeback is very palpable. You feel it. It's a part of the match, and it's really good because that crowd knew it, too. They were like, this dude is inches away from killing you, DiBiase, if you'll stop gouging the eyes or hitting him low or whatever he has to do. Uh, and, yeah, then we get a DQ finish. <laughs> it was kind of a letdown. You know, there are a lot of letdowns as far as finishes, they kind of punted on the show, but it wasn't a punt like, oh, we give up. We don't want to give you these things. It's like, well, we're just moving things forward. And in some cases, we have to protect guys because, they're, you know, Dusty Rose is not doing a job. Abby is not doing a job.
0: Yeah, it's weird because you can look at it from a lot of different avenues. You can say they punted on the show, but you can also say, well, the whole show, the whole point was to get Buzz Sawyer over as a viable babyface.
2: Some of those are middle to early on in the mo- in the giant movie that is pro wrestling, you know? Yeah, so
0: it, so it worked there. So yeah, there's just a lot of uh, there's just a lot of ways to interpret this show. Honestly, uh, now John JB, what did you think about this match?
1: Uh, you know, first of all, the the first time I remember seeing the uh, anything from this match was actually in the wrestling magazines. Uh, I believe it was. Uh, you know, of course, the wrestling magazines are so are, are months behind the actual uh, show back yeah. at this point, but uh, I believe it was Wrestling '84 was the first time I remember seeing this and this is a world class blade job by Tommy Rich. I mean, he hit a gusher and it's everywhere and I don't just remember seeing still pictures in that wrestling 84 magazine. Um you know that was you know one of my earliest childhood memories are the magazines, of course, and me begging to uh, get those magazines bought. And how in the world a five six year old kid was able to convince his mom to buy magazines for him of these guys with blood everywhere. I don't know how that worked, but it did. Uh, and and thanks mom, thanks mom for doing that. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but this match. You know, DiBiase is is a replacement, as we said earlier, for Harley. And in some ways, when you watch this match, I was thinking, my God, Ted DiBiase is working a match almost like Harley Race would work a match in some ways. There's a lot of nuance, a lot of different things that Ted would do that's very similar to Harley. Am I off on that, Pete? I mean he really – he seems like there's, a, there's there's little things I pick up from Ted that he almost
0: – a lot of bumping like Harley, yeah, except yeah. he has this, I think mean, he's actually better because they, they feel like they're more full fully speed bumped. Does that make
1: yeah, sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, but he, he's willing to bump around a whole lot more than a lot of heels of that generation. Um, but a little thing that I also noticed, DiBiase is wearing the black glove. You know, I
2: noticed
1: that too. That's something you know, a little different at this point in time for Ted. Uh, you know, you know.
0: Well, honestly, this is straight off him. I believe a couple months prior, he lost a loser leaves town match to Duggan. For the first time, yeah.
1: Right, right. And with that, with that glove, and with the fist. You know, one of my favorite things that Ted always did was that. You know, that slow fist drop. You know. Mm-hmm. It was just which is just such a great move and something that you don't see today at all.
0: No, uh, well, him and Lawler, the only two, they did it beautifully. Old Jim Cornette. Oh, yeah. A great yeah. one, too. We, yeah, we on, yeah, uh, talked about that. American yeah. Bash show. Yeah. yeah. No one does
1: it. It's a beautiful move. Yeah, and it, and it it's like, it, it, it's like, it's so poetic in ways. It's just, it's just, a, it's it's kind of almost like in slow motion. You're watching this guy fall to, you know, to, to, to punch a guy in the face. But it's the but idea. But if you
0: think about it today, most people don't even throw punches. So I mean, let alone, no. a, a we talked drop about,
1: yeah, up, yeah we talked know, about that. Drop. Yeah, that's what I talked about on the StarCast, you know, uh, no, sorry, the, uh, start the, um, uh StarCade show we did was, uh, guys throw those shitty forearms and they don't throw fists. Yeah. I yeah. think
2: it would also be seen as goofy movement by by uh, modern fans. That's just yeah. my guess. I don't yeah. know for yeah. sure, but I feel like yeah. they think it was awkward looking. Uh, the other thing, though, I want to I wanna give uh, credit to that that uh, falling forearm. Dude, you need really good timing and depth perception. To oh, do God, that. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I, I have really bad depth perception, and I think that I would completely – like it would look – you would watch me do it and go – yeah, that dude didn't he came two feet away from his head. Like why can't he right. fall correctly?
1: Like the only yeah, gun. I mean,
0: what, honestly, what? it's the fist drop and like Flair's knee drop, I think, are some mm-hmm. of the most beautiful things.
2: Because you have to know exactly where you're gonna fall. Like you're falling to the side and dropping the you're not throwing a punch. You're yeah. you're falling. So you have to measure in your head in in real time and do it instantly. How long you are as compared to where his head is? You know, you like I mean?
0: have your fist in position. Yeah, he's
2: not moving his arm around like to yeah. adjust. He just go holds it up in the same place almost every time and falls. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, it really, it really is, and it's just something that I just you know I noticed immediately in this match is that, and I, I guess it's that nostalgia factor that's like I'm missing. I'm missing that from my wrestling mm-hmm. and this match really is everything that I'm missing from my wrestling that I love. Uh it's it is the blood. It is it is the hot start, the slugfest between two combatants, you know, a guy that is a super over like Tommy Rich and this is long before Tommy kind of becomes a caricature of himself obviously. Yeah. And this is not Tommy talking about fired up and this is not Tommy talking about mama and the babies. You know, this is this is Tommy or Hank says or Waylon says, you know, it's, it's this is this is Tommy Rich, homegrown, you know, you know, legitimate baby face. But we know that he's tough and he's willing to fight. It's, and, our,
2: it's our boy. It's that handsome young man, our boy, Tommy Rich.
1: Yeah, that, that's yeah. who he is. That's who he is. And he is, you know, that, you know, Tennessee proud, but Georgia adopted son. That they all love, and you know that's really what we get in this match. And like you said, it gets to the DQ finish, but but in the end, we see all the other combatants come out and kind of break this up. And there's some people in that I'm trying to piece together. There, I believe I saw Chick Donovan. Yep. Uh, is uh, in a in a sweet ass lavender bell bottom combo, uh, you know, with just that kind of, white. Yeah that that, that white white, white shirt. shirt. Yeah. I'm like, are you insane? Who was You're that bloodbath with that? that? Okay, yeah, a, chick Donovan.
2: Chick I have a note on this. You got okay. Feel free to get get ready, guys. You're gonna kill me on this, but yeah, this is sure. the end of my like. Ronnie Garvin had a bad night. Maybe he didn't sleep the night before. Or have to drive through eight states. Just my opinion of what I was seeing. Ronnie Garvin comes out. He just walks to his spot as if it's a blocking spot spot in a play. He doesn't want to be it. Like it looked so like, Oh, oh. and he makes Jake Donovan move. And Jake Donovan looks like a blonde triple H when he was going through his flare phase in the, in the early nineties. And he was still that. in. And, uh, and, uh, he's acting donovan's acting like oh great i wouldn't have wore my favorite white sweater if i knew trashy tommy rich was gonna bleed all over it <laughs> <laughs> but he just looks like i'm not really holding the guy so like when when garvin walks over he just awkwardly kind of like takes his place holding the arm even though chick donovan's there and chick's just like yeah that's cool dude because i'm wearing white and i, I just they he didn't tell trashed. me Chick was dressed for some serious rat hunting. Okay? Oh,
1: yeah. He thought he was oh, yeah. done he's, for the night. He's ready to go.
2: Like He thought he was done for the night, and they were like, we need bodies. We need all heel, heels on deck. Get out there. And he's like, I, I, dude, I'm wearing low. And, and, and he just only just gave him a look, and he goes, yes, sir, and put his head down and walked out there. That's what I think <laughs> happened. Because he knew he was going to get shot on and just humiliated in the locker room.
1: And, and, and by this time, Chick Donovan's already like 40. You know? Right. Like- right. <laughs> And what's crazy is Chick Donovan actually is still wrestling. He's popping yeah. up on these indie shows in Georgia, and, and he had he's had a couple matches this year already, you know. And he's like in his seventies, so you know it's 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 insane. <laughs> but uh, you know, overall, it this was a, a perfect capper to the show. Like John said, it's kind of bookends. You know, start off with it with a really fun, solid match at the beginning, and then you get. Uh, you know, kind of a, a trashy, a trashy, flashy uh, slugfest between Tommy Rich and Ted DiBiase to close the show.
0: Yeah. Before I get to the match, I'm just going to run down my star ratings. I mean, I know some people hate star ratings, some people like them. I like them just, just like for my note-taking purposes only. Same. And like, you know, I give the opener two and a half. Uh, Jake vs. Garvin, I give three and a quarter. Valiant and Kabuki, I gave two and a half. Uh, Buzz, Abby, I gave four. The Roadies match, I gave a star and a half. And now, um, this match, I gave two and three-fourths. Um, I love the opening. I absolutely love how these guys are throwing hands to start. And it's a really amazing punch exchange. It almost felt like, you know, I'm going to steal a Johnny reference, a E here. Pauly, if he had this match... He would have edited out all the rest holds, and people would have been raving on uh, on online
2: yeah, at, sure. at a
0: four and a half star match of the year, uh, classic because there was a lot of great stuff in this match, uh, the opening, uh, uh, and it almost felt like an Attitude Era match where they're like Austin and whoever uh, throwing hands right at the start, but
2: Austin and Triple H because yeah. that's the way they they uh, booked that one, yeah. Yeah, and then the,
0: immediately rich goes into using the headlocked and i did like the exchanges early on but it wore it's welcome for me um i thought ted was good pushing the action at times underneath at other times though there was some laying around and it was like okay and i get it because they started hot they're taking the crowd down but man it just felt so anticlimactic coming off the strong um, opening I thought Pez did a little too much of "Hey, look at me! I'm the special ref" type of thing. He had a lot of David Mann and Manningisms in him. Um, a big uh, miss by Rich in the corner, and then Ted's using some roughhouse tactics. Uh, feel and again, I, again, I still think it feels a little attitudey. Era hot start, hot finish, a little ho hum in the middle. Uh, when, but once Rich gets busted open and you just see him just blading the shit out of himself, love DiBiase attacking the cut and he just goes after it and we get another non-finished good stuff. <clears throat> something you could, you know, like on a uh, great, uh, it was a great match for photos. Again, something you could edit, clip out three minutes and it looks like an amazing match of the year contender match for what it was. I thought it worked. And uh, and uh, to f- uh, finish the show. Um, JB, what was your favorite match of, uh, of this show? Uh,
1: the favorite match was the first match of the night uh, okay. for, for me. I thought that was the, the best, you know, pure wrestling match and told the best story and kind of got to the point. As far as, you know, best moments, you know, there's lots of moments throughout the night. Uh, obviously, Buzz Sawyer getting over like nobody's business is probably the the best thing. Um that walk around brawl with Abby stands out just because it's unique. Uh the crowd just kind of following them around from one spot to the other. It was very much like uh uh what you would see in Japan. Uh like when the crowds are parting, you know, as they were kind of coming through.
0: Yeah, Puerto yeah, Puerto
1: yeah, Puerto yeah. very much very much like that and it was it was it, it was I it was eye-catching and it was just a wild ass brawl. it was I mean all over the place something kind of unique for for that time period in, in, in a lot of ways especially in Georgia um you know but for me that first match uh probably my favorite match I mean there's moments you know through all the matches that kind of stand out and kind of grab your attention but for me that first match uh definitely was a standout for me
0: what about your least favorite match?
1: I think my least favorite is probably Valiant and Kabuki, uh, just because I've seen it so much and the the finish was just so stupid. It was just yep. really, it just really, it just, you know, I mean, I, and I I know it works, I know it works, and I know Valiant's over like Rover, but for me, just that the nonsense of that, even Gary Hart couldn't save it. And that's a lot that's a lot for me when I when I'm probably one of the biggest Gary Hart fans in the world. Gary Hart cannot save this match.
0: Gotcha. John, what about you? obviously his favorite match was the Armstrong match, right?
2: Uh yeah, so I wanna be I wanna out Pete Pete, and by that it just means I'm also gonna read my star ratings for those All right. who are not post star rating and angry at Dave Meltzer. Uh, because I just think it's a great way to quantify things for yourself, but also as a recommendation, it doesn't have to be the end of the world or the beginning of things. I get it. I'm not a huge fan of, of the guy in San Jose either these days when it comes to opinions. So having said all that, yeah, the first match, Lightfoot and Armstrong, I gave three and a fourth, uh, the title switch of, of Jake Roberts and Ron Garvin. I gave two and a fourth because I was, I was the low man on that match. Uh, kabuki and jimmy valiant two stars the less said the better but probably you know as a card thing probably perfect mid-card uh match for that given personalities and it's not a work rate match or it's not a it's not a a ring talent type of match it's a personalities match uh abdullah and buzz uh other than the character stuff and what came out of it i wasn't in love with the the actual match is not the whole brawl around it's just the ringside stuff so it's short It was two and a fourth for me. Um, The match I was the high man on, Dusty Rhodes and Britt Sawyer versus the Road Warriors, I gave two and three-fourths, so just above average. And then Ted DiBiase versus Tommy Rich, we rounded out. I actually wrote down three stars. Um and I think that's sort of fair. I should have given it three and a fourth maybe to stay in line with everything and bookend it correctly. But I, I honestly, I did like the first match better than any other match on the show. So that's the first match is my match of the night, too. Okay, your least favorite, I guess, is Valiant's match, right? Yeah, I would say so. I think statistically that's true. But, you know, yeah. Was that the two? Yep. Yep. That's Yep. That's the two. That's the least favorite.
0: Yeah, my favorite match was was, was Abby and uh, uh, Sawyer. I, I'm a sucker for those type of brawls. Um, and my least favorite was the tag, the roadies tag. Um, you know, for, for me overall, my thoughts on the show was, you know, I can understand people not liking the finishes. I totally can totally understand that. But from it, – it's, it's such a weird card to look at. You know, it, it got Buzz Sawyer over as a baby. I thought up and down. I thought, I mean, there wasn't anything. I was, I was like, man, I was offended on as, as it was bad wrestling. I thought the show flew by, and, and so for me, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up show, but it's, it's close. I can maybe it's probably thumbs up in the middle, leaning, uh, leaning f- up upwards because of some of the finishes. Uh, I mean, th- finishing the show with three DQs and then the Gary Hart pin getting pinned. Um, yeah, I can, I totally understand people like what the hell, but there was so, such a lot of, a lot of, lot of neat stuff in it. Like the, the finish of, uh, of, uh, Jake and Garvin, I thought was just brilliant. Uh, uh, I thought, I thought that we got a little bit of everything. I mean, we got a nice technical wrestling match to start. Uh, we got the, uh, we had a nice title change, uh, for the TV belt, we had that special attraction match with, with Valiant and Kabuki that I thought was fun. Uh, we got a wild brawl and the tag match, but it's still Dusty involved in it. So it was like another special attraction tag match. And then you had a big main event, uh, Double Juice main event, uh, that you really can't complain about to finish up the show with with chaos also and uh, getting involved with people emptying out the locker room. I mean, so to fin- finish with a lot of chaos. So I think you got a lot a lot of variety there. And uh, and I'm a guy who's a big fan of the uh, the circus theory where hey, I might not like the clowns, but I like the trapeze artists or I like the lion tamer or what have you. And I felt for. For, for hitting all the boxes in that aspect of being the three-ring circus. I thought they did a fantastic job. Uh, yeah, I do wish they could have came up with some better, more creative finishes. But so, yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs-up show. Uh, what about
2: you, John? Yeah, why not? Thumbs-up. I mean, I didn't hate it. Not at all. I'm, gl- I'm glad to get, like, little peeks into these things. Now, if I was a, a week-to-week fan going to the arena... Uh, that's tough because I don't know. I would have to be in a 1983 head rather than like a, a 90s and back fan. Um, but I'd like to think that I would go and pay five bucks or whatever it was and appreciate like, okay, this was not the show that I'll remember forever. Like I went to a million ECW and ROH shows that I don't remember every minute of. But then I drove home like going, okay, some pieces on the chessboard moved. I had a good time. So yeah, it's got
1: to be a thumbs up. What about you, JB? I, I give it a thumbs up, slightly tilted to the left or right. It's uh, right no, it's, you know, it, it's you know, it's it's you know, it's it's definitely if if I'm a fan, you know, attending Omni shows or, or local Georgia shows during this time period, uh, I'm bought and sold. You know, I'm, I'm ready to see what's going to happen next in this in the uh, in the the. The hierarchy of the story here as they're moving forward with Buzz Sawyer, you know, taking over as being uh, a top baby for sure. It's definitely, like you said, Pete, that walking tall, badass baby face. Uh, I'm definitely I'm bought, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see what's happen- going to happen next. Um, it's that, that wild walk around brawl enough would have me, you know, hyped up and engaged enough to want to come back next time to see what's going to happen. You know, that really is kind of the, uh, you know, setting the hook on the fans. Um, I'm not sure what the attendance was like at the show or what uh, what attendance was coming up after, you know, Omni shows after this. But uh, it sure to me is setting the stage for success.
0: All right, JB, anything you want to plug? Uh not
1: really. Uh I mean you can follow me on Twitter at pronounced JB and uh that's about it.
0: All right, Johnny P, anything you want to mention?
2: No. Um I guess you can follow me uh it's my my full name no spaces. Uh I'll spell it out but it's just as easy if you just google Barbwire City it's a documentary i made and my name will show up and the reason i'm saying this is because my last name is 12 letters so here we go <clears throat> if you can't get it now just google barweather city and you'll find it j o h n p h i l a p a v a g e that's my full real name but everybody calls me Johnny P so there's a reason there's a reason folks exactly there's the reason so there you go. Thank you for having me. Thanks
0: for having me, guys. Thanks for joining me, fellas.
1: Yeah, we and appreciate it. Follow Pete.
0: me on Twitter at Titans o Wrestling. Everybody, have a great week. Have fun with Thanksgiving coming up with your families. See y'all next time. Bye-bye.